you know, make no doubt about it, right? In the not-for-profit community, you have to be creative and innovative and you have to constantly be evolving. We're constantly evolving the economy. You gotta pick yourself up, go backwards and slam yourself at the wall like 500 more times until the wall crumbles. 25% of middle school girls already believe they'll never achieve their dream career. career. Hi, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Hint. And you're listening to Unstoppable, a podcast spotlighting the journeys of inspiring entrepreneurs. I believe that at its core, leadership is about constantly learning from the people around you. And I'm so inspired by the conversations we're having in our upcoming episodes and can't wait to share them with you. This season, some of my guests include Rebecca Minkoff, fashion designer and founder of the Female Founder Collective, Diana Kapp, author of Girls Who Run the World, Andrew Dudham, founder of Hymns, and Eugene Rem, co-founder of Rumble Fitness, and much, much more. Plus, we ask the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Unstoppable. Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara from Unstoppable, and I'm super excited to have my next guest here. I cannot even wait to introduce you to my friend, Marie Lynch. Uh, So, so excited. Uh, Marie, just a little bit about her. and. and about her company, Skills for Chicago Land's Future, which is super, super exciting. Um, but Marie Lynch grew up without a bridge to opportunity. Wow, that's a or that's that's a big statement there. But um, she built one, so she's working to build bridges for the unemployed, which is super, super exciting. Um, these bridges are Marie's metaphor for social capital. Um, the connections that lead to professional possibilities. And she's the CEO of Skills for Chicago Land's Future, um, such a cool company. And uh, yeah, I'm just super, super excited. She's doing so much, not only in Chicago, but she's also branched out uh, to Providence. And she'll talk more about some plans about what she sees and where she's going in the future. But over 1,400 unemployed annually, she's helped, which is amazing. Um, and uh, 70 pr- premier companies have gotten involved. So we can all kind of hear more about how we can all get involved in this too. So I cannot wait for you guys to all to hear her story. So welcome, welcome, Marie. Super excited to have you. Thank you. So good to be with you again. So good. I should also mention that Marie and I met, we were both involved in uh, this group called NACI, which was also, um, which was part of the Obama administration. Um, and, uh, and I look at that group of people that I was only in it for a short amount of time. Marie was in there for longer, but uh, just incredible people who were ultimately builders and connectors and trying to um, build entrepreneurism and jobs across uh, across America and super, super inspiring. And Marie, I remember uh, meeting her early on and just saying, I got to get to know her more. This like seems so cool. And, and uh, so I went out to Chicago a few times and got to hear more and actually went to one of her luncheons and met a lot of her people that, and so I just became that much more um, inspired by it. So anyway, so welcome and thank you again for coming on here to chat with yeah. everybody about this. So talk, talk to me about sort of how did this all get started? 
Well, first off, Kara, though, I have to say thank you for having me. And uh, it's fun to think back to when we met at NACI and uh, to think about, you know, both of us, two moms, four kids, both heading up organizations and this passion for, you know, making a difference in our respective lives. So it's fun to follow your story, oh, too. Awesome. Um, no, honestly. So um, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, Penny put us, we both were on that uh, committee and, and got brought together and with all those amazing other people. Um, so how did, you know, how did it all come together? Uh, you know, the, the bridge opportunity thing is real. Um, and, and what that means is, you know, on a, on a human level, you know, a zip code, uh, actually really impacts somebody's destiny. Um, you know, what zip code you're born into impacts who, you know, it impacts what kind of schools you're around. It impacts who your neighbors are. It impacts what kind of food you have access to. And, um, you know, while I, I always like to say, I, you know, I, I grew up in a, a very, um, a very blue collar part of town in a middle-class neighborhood. And, um, you know, 70% of my graduating class actually, um, did not go on to college, um, did not go into four-year college. And, um, and so it's certainly not the same thing as growing up in a, you know, low-income neighborhood, but it was a blue collar community. And I had these aspirations and dreams to, um, going into the not-for-profit government sector. And, and when I was in my, you know, teens, I, I, I could not get that internship. And I thought at the time it was because I had bad luck. I didn't understand um, that it was more about where I lived and who I had connections or at that point didn't have connections with. Um, and great, I, I love where I grew up. I'm so proud of it, Ville Park, Illinois. I mean, it's just, you know, it's salt of the earth. And I grew up with all different types of folks. And it's part of, I think, the grit of who I am, um, having grown up there. But uh, my neighbors, you know, in full disclosure, you know, air conditioning guys and, and my best friends uh, down the street, you know, her dad worked for the local grocery store, right? And so I kept thinking, like, I couldn't figure out how I couldn't be this involved and in getting good grades and couldn't get the internship. And then I went on to college and and then thought, this is my big break. I'm going to get it. And I and it was when it started to come together for me because the kids who got the big, who got the internship at the um, state government were not the kids who actually who wanted it. They were the ones who happened to live next to the neighbor's who had, who worked for the state. And so it was. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally 
first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. My first aha of like, this is, this is, wow, there's, this isn't bad luck. Um, there's more going on. And then when I went to graduate school, you were Chicago, I happened to live on the North side at the time. And it all came full circle for me because I knocked on the door of my neighbor. And this is like a true story. Knock on the door of my neighbor who happens to be at grad school at another um, college in, in Illinois. Um, and her friend had just turned on an internship for the mayor's office of policy. And so uh, this is kind of just as the internet's coming online. So she literally hands me the piece of paper with the phone number. And because of my zip code, because of where I was living, I got my big break. And it was, um, 
I'm the same person, right? I'm the same person during all that. And I finally get my big break into government. And, you know, you fast forward to, you know, 10 years ago when we founded the organization, I always knew in my work, I was passionate about economic mobility and passionate about community and um, working with, you know, companies to bring change. Um, but when the, the last recession hit, you know, 10 years ago, the concept really was, you know, all these people were unemployed and yet, they were next to, you know, neighbors who suddenly, you know, they didn't have the ability to get the job. And, but if you happen to live next to a neighbor who could get your resume to the top, um, you had that, you had that competitive advantage. And when companies are overwhelmed at that time, when unemployment is high, companies are overwhelmed with resumes, who, you know, 85% of the time leads to how you get a job. And so, um, so for me, it kind of came full circle of, you know, how can, how can we, how can skills be that neighbor? Because there's an access gap here and there's a zip code issue that has to be equalized. And so the, the other piece that was interesting for me too, was um, I had worked in the private sector as well. And I worked at Deloitte and I really understand how kind of, you know, that, that work with companies um, and the entire workforce system. Um, many, many people, many of the folks you work with are used to working with workforce organizations um, and want to do the right thing, getting people back to work. But the entire workforce system has historically been set up around um, the way the funding works is organizations train a person and then they they try to um, influence an employer to hire them. Um, and that is much different than um, what we do, which is we start with the employer and the job. We get to know that employer as intimately as we would the unemployed um, and know everything about what they're looking for. And then we go find the talent, um, custom design and custom laid out plan for that employer. So instead of starting with the employee first, you're actually starting with the employer first, which by the way, in the private sector, that's how you do everything. You start with where do you want to go? And then you build the you know, process. So that's what we did. Um, and it was a um, you know, something I was incredibly passionate about um, for personal reasons and recognizing that, you know, equalizing this for every, everybody should have the ability to have that neighbor from the park who you talk to and say, hey, oh, yeah, yeah I'm looking for this job. Can you put my resume to the top? Um, and that's on a macro level what Skills is doing um, in Chicago and Rhode Island and we're looking to do nationally. And so what year was this? So it was 2009 um, in, the, in the last recession when we, um, I had a previous uh, organization that I founded called Chicago Career Tech. And that was when we, um, we had some funding from the city to do something interesting. And we, we accidentally, to be honest, kind of created what I today call the skills model um, among several of the models. And we found that we were testing a number of things that it was really successful. And it was three years later um, in 2000, roughly 12, that I would say I, I really became a social entrepreneur because we had this model that we tested. We wanted to go full throttle with the skills model, dump all these other elements. Um, and I was um, able to pitch it to the city of Chicago who connected me then with Penny Pritzker, who I did not know at the time. Um, and she was working on some national skills initiatives. And uh, just like you would in the private sector world, you know, went in almost like, you know, venture capital and went in and, and pitched the concept and pitched the idea. Um, and, you know, over a series of months, she worked with us and, and we refined it and, and kind of grew a broader team um, and then launched, um, launched us and voted our old board. We, she helped me bring in 30 new board members, um, you know, top C-suite executives in Chicago. And the dream was, um, and we're, we're about halfway through, I'd say, but the dream was, you know, if you turn the workforce system on its face and you start with the employer and you do this, 
if you can do this in Chicago and then do it in another city and then do it in multiple cities, that long-term, you can change the face of how we fund at the federal level, how we fund workforce organizations, um, and that employers could know someday in every city they have an organization like Skills that they can turn to if they care about taking getting people from the neighborhoods that they care about into jobs. It's, it's so amazing. I remember when I came, I guess a few years ago, when I aim to listen uh, to the, your luncheon and listen to the mayor, uh, the then mayor of Chicago, talk about how you had come into his office and, you know, asking for money, right? And how you actually wow. repay yeah. that money that much sooner. I mean, then I, and I can't remember this story exactly, but I mean, tell me kind of a little bit about that. I mean, that's, that's such a huge thing, right? Like you, the, yeah. the idea of going into the city and actually borrowing money and then, you know, it, it not only, you know, got people off of, um, you know, some sort any type of subsidy, right? You got people, right. like, not only jobs, but I think you're so modest about this because the more that I've dug into this too, that it's not just about <laughs> getting the job. I mean, you provide a mentorship program that actually helps these people stay in the job, right? And figure out like, you know, what you're, I mean, it, it, there, it was just so inspiring hearing people who had been through that program and having somebody to talk to when, you know, their boss, for example, says like, you just don't get it, right? And instead, like when somebody, when a boss says to somebody, you just don't get it, then, you know, they probably got like one foot out the door at that point, you know, whether they want to be or not. And and I feel like your group actually tries to come in there and, and really mediate what ultimately, right. which is so needed. So, you know, from a story level, sometimes it's best to understand it to, you know, think about it through the eyes of like the work and the people. And so, um, you know, recently, you know, last year we actually, um, there's an individual, his name is Marquise Pitts and he's from the West side of Chicago and he's, you know, two hardworking parents and really, really wanted to be in the medical field. Right. But he didn't have, and he's involved with this church and they're trying to place him, but he didn't have the network to get him in that job. Super great guy. If you met him, you or I met him, like if we were at, you know, train station, we would hire him in a second. Right. But so he's like done all the right things, can't get the job in the West side. Meantime, the other side of it is the employer, Rush University Medical Center, which you've been, I, I, you know, you've seen some of the, my folks who've been there, um, you know, giant um, healthcare facility in the West Side, super committed to hiring residents from the West Side, but the companies don't necessarily, they had the same problem. They wanted to hire from the neighborhood, but they didn't know how, right? And so they put up the job postings, but they're getting people from all over the city and they're really committed to the West Side. And so kind of enter skills, right, of of bringing those two together and you have to have a mutual trust and relationship on both sides. Um, and I think that's the real unique aspect here is we know the employers inside and out. Like we, we live and breathe the employers because we know that if we have employers well, then we can identify and find the right folks and help them get through the process, get them through the career pathway. If they need mentors, provide that support around them, but you got to start with the employer, but it's, you know, the magic of it is a, a an incredibly agile, robust, flexible, customized relationship with the employer that then you go and find those talent but you have to also be trusted in the community by the unemployed totally. community-based organizations that trust you right so there's a lot of trust and you know what does that come from that also you know going back to what you said about some of the data you heard you know we did a we had an independent evaluation done a few years ago and what did it show it showed that people who came through skills um, who we placed made anywhere from sixty one hundred to nine thousand dollars more a year than an unemployed person who found a job on their own it also found that the retention rate two years in 
was actually um, 76% versus somebody on their own who was unemployed and found a job 60%. And that's part of that matching. The other thing it found, to your point about the return on the investment, because there are there is an ROI for the funder, right? There was a 251% ROI for the funder. Um, so for every dollar you invested, a 251% ROI. And what, what that's from what you're alluding to is when you actually get somebody a job, you're actually then getting the ability to, they're paying taxes, right? They're buying things. They're not, they're no longer using health, you know, public health um, system, they're, right? They have health coverage. Um, they're no longer, you know, utilizing any type of um, medical, you know, um, reimbursements, you know, they're getting all this. So, so the, the ROI in it's incredibly high. And, you know, the code we cracked truly that I think has been broken forever was we cracked how to work with the employers to create that pathway to de-risk the hire for them, but also to, you know, to, to be that, again, to be that neighbor resource to the employer, to get those unemployed into jobs. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been, uh, you know, one thing I always like to share is years ago when I was pitching this, so one of the other elements is we have a lot of private funding. It's super important to have private funding because we have to be able to be agile and, and government funding, love it, but also really hard because it's incredibly restrictive and it doesn't allow you to be innovative and, you know, make no doubt about it, right? In the not-for-profit community, you have to be creative and innovative and you have to constantly be evolving. We're constantly evolving with the, with the economy. And so in any case, I remember being with JP Morgan Chase, they've been one of our biggest donors. And I'll never forget the national head of philanthropy. I'm like pitching this skills concept, right? Just, and he's like, Marie, I love it. He's like, but no disrespect, putting the job first and starting the employer first, like it doesn't sound like rocket science. Like why has nobody done this? And I, you know, I looked at him and I'm like, it's not rocket science. It's actually using business principles and using exactly what you do in the business world for the not-for-profit. But why it hasn't been done is because the entire workforce system is federal funded with federal money. And I'm looking for, you know, corporate money so that we can undo that system. And, um, and so anyway, that's, you know, but uh, the last thing I'd say on that too is the other thing I think that's been interesting in this all these years. Um, and I know, you know, in your book Undaunted and, you know, I, all this, I think part of it too is um, it is having this focus on ensuring that what we tell the employers we're going to do, we actually deliver on. So, you know, the, the, the last piece of this is, you know, it's not only getting, securing, you know, private funding that allows you to be innovative, but it's really delivering, constantly delivering to the employers and what they're asking for. And that, the, you know, the request to the employers is not about charity. The request to the employers is about, you know, they have a business need and getting them people that are going to be talented and we know are going to stay longer. And so I think you also have to flip that. You can be a not-for-profit um, without asking employers to be charitable in the sense of asking them, we don't want them to, we don't want anybody to reduce their expectations. Um, in fact, I think part of why skills is, you know, now in Rhode Island and looking national is because the, the product of what we're delivering is so high quality. Um, and so I think keeping our eye on that has been important, but the beauty of it for an employer is, you know, for, especially today, right now with COVID and with um, racial equity issues, you know, if you want to serve those and actually, if you actually really want to make a difference, you got to hire from neighborhoods which are significantly impacted by COVID and neighborhoods that are significantly impacted by unemployment and, you know, and racial issues. And so, but you often, just like you outsource, um, you know, an employer outsources for a lot of things. And so you outsource to an organization like Skills to be able to help you, you know, get that avenue into the neighborhoods. Um, but there's an expertise involved in that. Well, I feel like you're also, I mean, to your, to the introductory, introductory point, you're bridging these things. Right. So I actually think what you've done is not brain surgery, but it's actually 
harder for people. I mean, the world lives in these silos. And when you actually start building these bridges together, it's like, gosh, why haven't we done this before? I mean, it's a story of startup, right? It's like, wow, why wasn't that around, you know, before? But it takes you and, you know, people who are thinkers, right? And and bridge, you know, community builders, bridge builders to really do this. So I think it's pretty incredible. So um, I, I want to tell a story and I was not at this event because I did not know Marie very well, but I remember when Obama left at the administration, didn't he show up at one of your events, uh, shortly, shortly? Well, after? no, he, he didn't necessarily show up at one of our events, but I, but I will say this is my, um, kind of fun story. Um, it was 20, 2014 and, and um, I had been to, I'd been asked to come to the White House um, unemployment summit and was there with Obama and they featured one of our people and they put me on a panel and it was amazing, right? It was an extraordinary moment. Um, but shortly after that, um, <laughs> funny enough, I, I got um, a, a call or an email and I think it was actually funny enough an email. I was like, oh, the White House is an email. No, the White House emailed um, and said, can you come meet with the president? And I thought, oh, this can't be for real like who who emails you expect like you know the bat phone um but no 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 like in three days they wanted me to come meet with the president um and it was a two-hour meeting with about 15 of us around the country and i was there to speak about economic mobility um and so i'm sitting next to magic johnson um and i joked with him that i was sitting next to him because i was the all the men in the room were of course taken with his basketball and uh, he wasn't there for that he was there for um his work in low-income communities but i sat next to him and i sat across from the president and you know, this is one of those moments you, you, I think some people dream of as a kid. Um, I have to tell you, honestly, it really struck me that day. It was kind of emotional for me um, walking into the gates of the White House that day because um, I'd been there, but I hadn't been with him personally because I was this kid from Villa Park. And um, it was actually really emotional for me because I never let myself dream that I would have that moment to be sitting with the president, right? And so you're in grad school and you're in college and you hear these things of like, oh, you you know, you get a few minutes with the president. What do you say? Um, and that was just always an exercise to me. I could never visualize that because because um, I was a kid from Villa Park. And um, so when I had this moment um, and this two-hour meeting with the president, uh, it was incredibly impactful. And I got to share with him you know, uh, why, you know, my pitch to him was Mr. President, you know, as a president, I said, you don't need more money in the workforce system. There's plenty of money. What we do need is we need to change the way that money is used and to be innovative and creative about how you use that money. And that's, what's going to make the difference in this world. Um, and that's the difference of what you can do. And, um, the secretary of labor was there that day and, um, he was a brand new secretary and he, was introduced to me after that meeting and, you know, and, uh, we then got to be quite close and, um, he helped also with the skills model and made some introductions for us to Rhode Island. So it's, um, it was, you know, it was, um, it was a really neat moment and something that one of the things I took from it was the importance of dreaming. And, uh, I certainly know I shared with my kids and my staff and others that, um, don't ever limit yourself on what you dream because you might be standing there one day in front of the president. Um, and, uh, you know, anything's possible. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because two things come to mind. So my book, Undaunted, and there's many yeah. stories about that. And, and you know, and people always, you know, will hear like, oh gosh, you've worked for NACI, you've done, you know, all these things, like, do you just not have any fear? And I think that that's, you know, so often the story of 
you know, I'm sure there's things that you fear, right? And, but yet you, you know, continue on your journey and you do good. And then those dreams sometimes kind of present themselves in front of you, right? Like it's, it's, uh, and this is a, so I think that it's one thing to ultimately say, like, I dream of one day, like meeting the president and, you know, but I think that the, that so often if you do good, right. And, and you're a kind person, but you're also a smart person and you're trying to do better in the world. I think that that your dreams will come true. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, you know, maybe that sounds silly to some people, but I'm a huge believer in that. And especially Mm -hmm. hearing that story from you that I think it's just, you know, especially when you're helping people, right? And well, yeah, and the, you know the thing that I think that was interesting. Yeah, the thing that was interesting to me too is you know, and you know this is you know the power of the you know the power of the president's office is inc- incredible, right? When he had, when you know they picked us, you know, skills is like the at that time it was the only demand driven organization, right? And I'm sitting up there with, you know, in front of 300 people, and you know, and and there's 100 CEOs in there, right? And we're handpicked to talk about how you work with companies and. That forever changed. I mean, frankly, it, it changed the trajectory of skills because suddenly we had hundreds of organizations who were asking us to bring a skills site to their location, and we suddenly we had to go out and get funding and figure out, pull learning communities together, and then pick who our next site was. And now we have this national plan. But it's amazing how, to your point, like that good work. Um, that you know, the the rocket science may not have been the idea, but I think you're exactly right too. There is a there's a perseverance to it, and there's an ability to connect the people and the players and the relationship. And also, I think the other thing is that I always find really interesting in this is we knew I knew that we were onto something special when there was friction, and right, you know, you're making right, and you know this in your work too. You know, if you're just doing status quo work, people are all happy, and that can't be what you're doing, right? But there, there, there was friction in the system because there are those who benefit from the way the funding is set up and want it to all be set up the same way. And when skills entered the market, there certainly was friction from some organizations who saw us as competition or didn't want us, you know, didn't want us in there, kind of lost sight of you know their own mission because um, they were worried we were going to take away dollars. Um, but that to me was also telling of yeah, this is why we're in here because we're a disruptor. We're a disruptor in the workforce system. Um, and I think that friction and that perseverance and the ability to not acquiesce when you are, um, when others try to push you away, um, you know, just to continue pushing through is, is what makes a difference between a good idea that becomes, you know, happens something locally versus something that can happen nationally because you just can't stop. You got to just keep pushing. Um, so. No, I, I love it. You know and that, you know that, you know this. <laughs> but it's amazing. And I think whether you're doing, you know, social entrepreneurism or private sector, I mean, I just, I feel like that's, you know, that's consistent. Like, I think just being able to figure out like how you're helping people and, you know, is just super, super important. So, but I, I just admire everything that you're doing at Skills for Chicago Land and, and uh, it, and, you know, also, as you mentioned, I mean, Rhode Island as well, and, and really building that up as well. So plans to go national? Yeah. So um, thanks for asking. We are, we are so excited because, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, there's a $10 million award that we're a finalist for. It's called the Economic Opportunity Challenge. Um, yeah, we're in the top five, um, 160 applied from around the country. It's 
or an organization, a not-for-profit that has at least one replication site and is making an impact in economic mobility. Um, so we submitted a plan to go into 17 cities over the next five years. Um, and we are, you know, very excited to be in this top five. And, uh, you know, we find out in October. So, um, yeah, so we're looking for our next sites. We have our short list of where we want to go, but we're, you know, looking for businesses and communities that, you know, want to, you know, want to either work with an existing organization, have skills kind of bolt on, or want to set up an organization to really work with employers to get the unemployed into jobs. I should mention that some of the companies that you work with, so Ulta, Walgreens, Hyatt, I mean, what are some of the others? Yeah, um, J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America and B of A, um, all the major medical centers in Chicago and Rhode Island um, we work with. Um, you know, we also, you know, all, also all the retail chains, you know, Walmart and, and CVS. Um, uh, we also, um, I would say, you know, on the manufacturing side, there's, you know, companies, both locations. But so we work with, you know, in Chicago, many, 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 you know, we work with 50 clients of the, you know, biggest companies in Chicago. And then Rhode Island, they're working with about 60. Um, and so I, I would say if there's national employer we're we're probably working with you and if we're not we should be yeah absolutely how do people find out more yeah so um companies go to scfjobs.com um and uh, i'm sorry unemployed go to scfjobs.com and companies go to skills for chicagolandsfuture.com and um at skillschicagolandsfuture.com you can see all about how to partner with us you can see our national expansion plans um certainly you know somebody wants to donate they can certainly do that as well they want to be part of our breakfast event they can be part of that um but everything there and i, I would also share it's also a resource we have uh, it's called our insights we have all the national unemployment data available. Um, as you know, there's over 50 million unemployed right now um, with, uh, you know, we just have, we're in a much greater unemployment crisis than we were 10 years ago. Um, so you can also see, you know, what's happening nationally there um, and as a resource, um, but also connect with us if you want to hire or for us to expand into your city. I love it. I love it so much. So how do people get a hold of Marie too? Are you on social and Yep. So you can certainly, um, you can see my, you know, my uh, Twitter and my LinkedIn feed is all, you know, publicly available and you can just go to skillschicagoland.com to find all that. Um, and I'm happy to be in touch and uh, please, you know, please touch, please reach out to me uh, individually. Happy to connect. I love it. I love it. So it's so inspiring. You guys have to see what she's doing. I mean, it's just, it's really the roadmap, I think, for so many cities and particularly um, you know, coming out of COVID, I think with people starting to look at jobs again, and and it's really, really inspiring. So thank you so much, Marie, for doing, not only for coming on, but for doing all that you're doing. And I talk about you uh, at least weekly, um, your name comes up and, you know, I just, I just talk about what a badass you are and how awesome you are, and you're just <laughs> making a huge difference. And Lots of people are noticing, and I'm very, very thrilled that this is all happening. So it's really, really great. Thank you, Kara. Well, we'll be forever grateful that um, Nacy brought us together, yeah, and no, thank you for no, what you're no, doing too. Thank, and thank you for your, thank you also for your um, mission and your advocacy around clean water too. Um, you know, skills signed on to that as well, and um, that makes a world of difference in our community. So thank you yeah, for that. More, more to come for sure. Well, thank you again, everybody. Okay, thank uh, you. Definitely, if you like this episode, go on and give us a great review and subscribe and all that stuff. So. Um, anyway, you guys have a great rest of the week. If 
you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.